Good morning, good to see you. I'm Luke, I'm one of the leaders here today. And uh, my intention over the next half an hour or so is not to be lost for words. Have you ever been lost for words? Most of the times when that happens, it's not a good thing, is it? There are moments that can be great to be lost for words. When we uh, see something uh, amazing, something wonderful happens to us, usually unexpected, in a moment like that, we can be lost for words and there's, there's a joy in it. Most of the other times when we're lost for words, there's less joy in it. Someone's asked you a question that you're supposed to know the answer to, and you're like, oh no, there's been some kind of disconnection between what I thought I knew and what I'm now about to say. Uh, I've experienced this, if you're a university student, you will have felt this. There is a blank screen in front of you, and that's nowhere near as much of an essay as you were intending to have at this stage of the night before you're supposed to hand it in. You know what it's like if you're at work and you've experienced this, and, uh, or if, uh, those of you who work with uh, children and uh, young people who are particularly good at noticing when someone is lost for words. There are times in our lives that are extremely complicated. There's times in our lives which are really hard, really difficult. And at that point, we seem lost for words often as well. Uh, We might have a lot of noise that we want to make, but we don't have a lot of clarity or coherence. And those are difficult moments. I I can't even process this. And there are times of great joy and great wonder and thrill when we experience something, when we see something, when we get a glimpse of God in his glory That makes us want to praise him. That makes our soul rise within us. That makes us thrilled uh, with him and that we might know this and experience this. And yet we can't really find the way to articulate it. We want to say something, but we don't know what to say. Sometimes as well, our brains just aren't up to it, are they? If you have a morning time of uh, prayer with God and the night hasn't gone as well as you would like it to have done, or you just don't have as much energy as you want, and you're sitting there or kneeling there, or whatever your position is, and you're like, I know now is the time to pray, and yet here I am. I mean, I'm assuming there are some people here who have experienced that. Because he loves us, and because he loves hearing from us, God generously gives us a gift to enable us to speak with him at those moments without us even really knowing what we're saying. The Bible calls this the gift of speaking in tongues. And we are going to be looking at that today. We're going to look at the most detailed discussion about it in the Bible. Uh, But it's not something that's very familiar to a lot of people, even to a lot of Christians. And so I thought it'd be helpful to start with a a description of what it is, a definition of what it is that I'm uh, speaking to you about. And then we'll look at what God's word has to say about it. So uh, we would describe speaking in tongues here as speech in a language that the speaker doesn't know, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to guide the form of words that you use to praise God. And my intention this morning is to show you that God wants to give you this gift and to encourage you that it's for you and for us 
uh, to ask God for it and to even receive it this morning. And so this is how we're going to end our time together. There's going to be a little bit of gap in between here and there where I'm going to say some things. But here's how we're going to end. I'm going to invite the band to come back up on the stage. They're going to uh, play some music. And we are going to invite uh, the Holy Spirit to come and give as many who ask the gift of tongues. For you to praise God in a language that you won't know, but will be praised from your spirit to God. And because we want you to feel comfortable in that, and already some of you are like, oh my goodness, that's why, we're play- that's why we want the band to play. And uh, they will start eventually singing a song. So if, you, if you're not comfortable with this, you can sing the song. Uh, you may just want to praise God in, in your native uh, language, and that's great as well. Uh, but if you want to go for this, and maybe for the first time you want to go for this, this is going to be an opportunity for you to do this. But I wouldn't want just to say to you, oh, this is a great thing, I think you should do it. I want to show you why I believe this is in God's word and where it is and uh, what it means for us. And my intention is for you to eagerly desire this gift and to ask God for it and for him to give it to us. So I want to pray as we start that God would have his way amongst us. And uh, I want to invite you to join me in that if you feel comfortable doing so. Lord God, I want to thank you. You are good. I want to thank you that we can do a whole series of preachers of these things called Good Gifts from a Good God. Lord, whether, whether you're well known here by some or not at all, the truth of the matter is you're a good God. And we want to trust you this morning. We want to be shaped by what your word says, and not by our preference, and not by our culture but by you and your word. And so please, I pray, would you give me grace now to speak accurately uh, and as I should, uh, being led by you, Holy Spirit. And I pray for each one of us here that we would hear with faith and we would respond to you in faith. And Lord, I simply ask that as you're amongst us, Holy Spirit, uh, you would give many here uh, the gift of speaking in tongues this morning, that they might praise your name. Amen. Now, this is an unusual topic. This is an unusual gift. The gift of speaking in tongues is, uh, is strange. I'm not going to pretend that it, it, it isn't. It's, it's provocative. People respond to it uh, strongly often and are unsure about it or uh, laugh at it. It is unusual. There aren't many other contexts in which people are going to say, we're going to say some things uh, that are in a language that you're not necessarily going to know. That would usually be seen as unusual. But here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is about coming to the end of yourself. We've heard that this morning. I love that uh, word that Raph brought of God's infinite mercy, his massive riches of mercy that he wants to give to us. And then we took communion together. And communion is when you say, I was at the end of myself. I couldn't do this. I was in such a mess. I was such a disaster. I was so full of sin. I was so living my own way that the only way that I could be rescued, the only way that my life could be transformed and turned around was if God would come and do it for me. I couldn't do it myself. The story of Christianity isn't that you were basically pretty good and then you were given some tips to get a bit better. Or things weren't going quite as they should have done, but then we found a couple of hints and tricks and now we can do things well. The message of Christianity is that we were dead in our sins. 
As regards to God, we were his enemies. And yet, because of his infinite mercy, because of the great riches of his love, he sent his son to die for us, give his body for us, and establish a new covenant with us in his blood, a deal with us that we might belong to him, that we might be reconciled to him, that we might be his. And so we have given our lives to him. That's what Christians have done. Christians aren't saying, I've got it all together and God's now like a co-pilot. Christians are like, I was dead, he made me alive. I was an enemy, he made me his child. That's the message of Christianity. We've come to the end of ourselves. And speaking in tongues is a demonstration of that. Because there's this point where you say, I just can't describe it anymore. I don't have the energy to, or, the, or, or the brain power to explain it anymore. But I want to praise him. And the gift of tongues is a moment where God says, I will help you with that. You've come to the end of yourself, but it's not the end. That's always the story with Christianity. And the gift of tongues is like that. As well, just to say, that very often in the history of the church, uh, the gift of tongues isn't something that people have been uh, responsive to, haven't been uh, keen on. I guess there are numerous reasons, some of them uh, legitimate and understandable, others of them uh, less so. I think tongues can, it can feel offensive to us, uh, particularly those of us uh, who, who, who are smart, those of us who are used to being in control, those of us who, are, who work hard, who study well, who use their brains all the time. You're going to hear me say today, you don't need to use your brain so much on this point. You're going to think, hang on, God gave me my brain, I'm supposed to use my brain. And you are. But there comes a point where you get to the end of yourself. And God has a gift for you in that point. The gifts of the Spirit, and particularly speaking tongues, can, uh, to be honest, can lead to a certain wildness, a certain out-of-controlness that I think is actually not biblical, but happens when people grab hold of something and don't have Spirit-filled leadership to help them process it. And so people might see an example of people speaking in tongues, or, or a crowd of people speaking in tongues, and thinking, I don't want anything to do with that. That is wild. That's out of control. That's just crazy. And good godly leadership, which we hope to give you here, spares us from that, gives us the goodness that God has and the release and the joy, but not a sense of out of control, as I'll show you a little bit later. But just to say, it's been, it's been part of the move of God that he's done over these past hundred years or so. It's uh, known as a as historical fact, as well as amongst churches, it will be called a, a Pentecostal revival. And this is a, a, a renewal of the things of the Holy Spirit. It's come over the past hundred years or so. Uh, and estimates now would say there's around like 640 million uh, or so uh, Christians around the world who would be described as Pentecostal or charismatic. Those who believe that uh, God wants to give us spiritual gifts today, like what we're talking about. And so that's, that's some of the cultural stream of what we're in. That's part of this moment that we're in. Let's look at what the Bible has to say, though, because that's the most important thing. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaks about this in depth in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14. And what we're going to do is go through a series of the phrases that he uses in uh, this section. And here's how he begins. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Ignorance is not bliss here, Paul says. He says, I want you to know what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Well, as you'll have guessed from the title, they are gifts given of a spiritual nature by the Holy Spirit. 
This is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, God who is with us, amongst us now. The Lord God, the Father, is reigning in heaven. Jesus has lived on earth amongst us, having always existed with the Father. He died on earth, but he rose to new life and he ascended to the right hand of the Father from where he rules and reigns with him and where he intercedes for us and is even now representing us to God. And the the Father and the Son said to the Spirit, go and be with our people. And so the Holy Spirit has been sent to earth and is with us right now. God is here by his Holy Spirit, and he gives us gifts. And even just describing it in that way, you think, well, no wonder Paul doesn't want people to be uninformed about them, because this is no small thing. This isn't about minor matters, I don't want you to be uninformed, about small controversies that don't have any relevance to your life, really, I don't want you to be uninformed. No, Paul's saying about the gifts that God wants to give you, I don't want you to be uninformed. To which we would say, amen. I don't want to be uninformed about things that God wants to give me. These spiritual gifts, we see them uh, on occasion in the Old Testament. There are moments where people are able to prophesy, they speak on God's behalf, where they have healing power, where they're aware of the presence of God in a wonderful way. They happen here and there, occasional moment, occasional moment, all throughout the Old Testament, but not all throughout God's people. And yet a promise comes uh, through the Old Testament. One of the most glorious moments of it is in the prophet Joel, chapter 2, when God says, the time's coming where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Men and women will receive me and they will be able to prophesy and they'll know me closely in person. And in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, after Jesus has died, risen and ascended, he says to his followers, I'm sending you out now in the power of the spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on, God's, on Jesus' first followers. They're filled and they prophesy and they perform miracles and they speak in tongues. And there are all sorts of gifts that God gives that are supernatural and that enable these people to both know and praise God and also advance his kingdom. And so Paul lists some of these to the Corinthians. Now, there's a pretty good chance the Corinthians didn't need these listed to them because they were a church who loved spiritual gifts. They They go wild for them. So Paul makes his list quite carefully. So he says in uh, verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he reels off a list which ends with, To another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So Paul lists a whole bunch of gifts, but attributes them all to the Holy Spirit. This is a key principle of spiritual gifts. They are meant to bring unity because they are all from the one God and they are all for the common good. Sometimes you see people wanting, you can know why they want spiritual gifts because they want people to say, wow, look at you. Or because they think, I just want to fit in and everyone else is doing it. I want this. And the Bible says that spiritual gifts are for the common good. So if a spiritual gift is brought, it does good to, to many people. That's the point of it. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 also speaks of uh, the body, the church as a body, all its parts working together. And he's saying this is what should happen when spiritual gifts at work. Every part is playing its part. Every part is functioning. And so the body grows and does all that it's meant to do. And so he gives this list and he ends with to another various kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation of tongues. And he, write, he says another list in uh, verses 27 and 28 of this chapter as well, where he gives really a bit of a hierarchy. He says, first, a pro- 
first apostles, secondly prophets, on and on, and kind of lastly, speaking in tongues. Why does he do, why does he do that? Well, we're pretty sure the reason he does that is because the Corinthian church thought basically everything was about speaking in tongues. They loved it. They all did it. Their meetings were basically entirely people speaking in languages that they didn't understand. And Paul says, no, hang on. Let me put tongues in its place, which is that there are some other very significant gifts. And we'll see a little bit of that as we go on. But Paul doesn't remove tongues from the list. He doesn't say, you guys have been abusing this gift, you haven't been using it properly, therefore, that's the end of that. He says, instead, let me show you a better way. And so he starts his famous chapter 13 with, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Interestingly, when Paul is describing a hierarchy of gifts, tongues comes last. When he's describing what can go wrong with the gifts, tongues comes first. Because he's saying this to the Corinthians. Guys, I want you to get your perspective right. Tongues without love is a lot of noise that doesn't do anyone any good. Why is love so important? Well, Paul says love is eternal. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want to obey God, you love your neighbor as yourself. And you love God. It's as simple as that. And love is the perfect expression of the character of God. And so we use spiritual gifts lovingly. And that's the only way that they are to be used as God intended for them to be used. We don't use them because we're proud. We don't use them to get one up on each other. We don't uh, argue with each other or mock each other for having them or not having them. We're meant to love. That's what God has called us to do. So as you think, how is this gift to be used? How am I to use this? What's my motivation to be? It is to be the love that God pours into us by his Holy Spirit. So Paul says, I want this to be defined, this gift to be defined by love. He talks about tongues of men and of angels. Is he being rhetorical at this point or descriptive of what happens when the gift of tongues is given? I think think both are possible from what we see here and elsewhere. Uh, He says in, uh, back in chapter 12, he says, he talks about various kinds of tongues. So this could be various kinds of tongues, some of which are human languages and some of which are not human languages. In Acts chapter 2, the tongues that were given were the languages of, uh, they were human languages. So Luke records, they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, Holy, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So you've got a bunch of guys from Galilee who don't know many languages, suddenly filled with the Spirit and speaking things out that people from all over the Roman and Parthian empires are hearing and saying, that's my language. How are you speaking my language? That's what happens in Acts chapter 2. One of the things with tongues is that it doesn't have really any Old Testament uh, precedents. You don't see really anything approximating this in the Old Testament, except this, that in the early days of Genesis, the people of the world gather together and they have a single language and they, they, they plan basically to make themselves great. And they want to build a tower that shows how great they are. And God says, I'm going to stop you right there in your tracks. And one of the means by which he does this 
is to uh, make them unable to understand each other. And suddenly, from the world having one language, there are multiple languages. And everything is divided. And in Acts 2, suddenly God has brought everything back together. And people are calling on the name of the Lord together, and he is bringing a unity that is his his intention in Christ, that he might bring one people to himself. And so uh, having having this unity is no longer a cause of opposition to God, but a cause of glory to God, because it all points to uh, to the wonders of what Christ has achieved for us. Anyway, side point. Tongues of men. This kind of thing still happens. So a church leader I know called Mike Pilavachi, he writes this in a book of his. He says, a few years ago, we were in an evening meeting at Soul Survivor, and we prayed for people to receive the gift of tongues. Every year we get visitors from different countries, and this year there happened to be a youth group from Romania. The youth leader from this group didn't believe in the gift of tongues. So as we invited the Holy Spirit, he got up and began to walk out. As people were beginning to pray, the rest of us in the big top began to speak out praise to God, either in English or in tongues. I happened to be praying over the microphone in tongues, and I noticed it seemed a little different to me. I even wondered if I was subconsciously trying to make it sound better, as so many people could hear me. Afterwards, a group of young people from the Romanian group ran up to me and said that as I'd started speaking in tongues, their youth leader had stopped in his tracks. He had been stunned because he recognized the language I was speaking in. Apparently, it was ancient Romanian. According to him, I was reciting an 11th century Romanian poem called The Prayer for Protection. To add to that, he knew the words because the poem was one that had been tattooed on his father's back. Now, I take my evidence from the Bible, but when I see things backing up what the Bible says, I believe them. And that's not the only story like that that I've heard of. I haven't heard of loads of stories like that, but I believe it can happen. And it's entirely biblical. I think when we go into 1 Corinthians 14, as we will in a moment, I think we'll hear of God uh, giving the gift of tongues that we might speak mysterious languages, languages that aren't human, as it were. And that could possibly be what Paul means by the tongues of angels. But before we go into that, uh, uh, carrying on verses 8 to 10 in chapter 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So this is telling us that the gift of tongues is for a limited time only, but that time is now. The Spirit began giving these gifts in Acts chapter 2, and he will not stop until the perfect comes. What is the perfect? The perfect is the return of Jesus. That's clearly what Paul means by the context of this chapter. He can't mean anything else. It's the return of Jesus. And we won't need to speak in tongues then because we will be perfected and our vision of him will be perfected and our understanding and our capabilities will have been so gloriously transformed that we'll just be praising him consciously but on a whole new level. But clearly, that, this is what Paul's saying about when is the gift of tongues available? Right now. There's no biblical evidence that the giving of this gift has ceased. In fact, quite the opposite, because we, we know Jesus hasn't returned yet. There's, that's not something you need to be unsure of. He hasn't come back, therefore the spiritual gifts are for now. So, Paul says, kicking off into chapter 14, what should you do? 
you Corinthians, you crazy tongue speakers. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So, Paul considers prophecy to be greater than tongues, and that's a recurring theme in the rest of chapter 14, partly because the Corinthians have just gone crazy on tongues, but also because prophecy is revelation from God that's spoken in a language that all can understand. And it therefore benefits everyone. It benefits the whole church. As we hear these things, we think, I, I, can, I can hear and understand that. It might blow my mind still, but I can understand the words that are being used. And any guests who are there when the prophecy is shared can hear what God is saying to them. Now, our focus today isn't on prophecy. Matthew preached on it a couple of weeks ago. So we're going to bear this in mind, but we are still going to be looking at tongues because that's what our topic is for today. And so don't miss this. What Paul says, he says, go after love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I mean, this is a command in the Bible. That we earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Not think, well, maybe, who knows? No, no, earnestly desire them. So carrying on. Paul says, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, which is an interesting contrast with Acts 2, when people did understand them. No one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So this is a great explanation of what happens when someone speaks in a tongue. The direction of their words is Godward's which is the opposite of prophecy. In prophecy, we feel like God is speaking something to us. We always weigh that by the Bible, but that's the direction it's coming from. Tongues, Paul says, is speaking to God. And the content is mysterious twice over. It's mysterious in one way because, well, the person saying it doesn't know what they're saying, and probably the people around them don't know what they're saying. But it's also mysterious because it is a response, Paul says, to the mysteries of the gospel that, that God has revealed in Christ. Mystery in the Bible isn't like a murder mystery, like we don't know who done it. Mystery is a, revel- is, a, is a thing that was once not known, but has now been revealed by God to us in Christ. And so Paul says in Galatians, the, the mystery is that the, the, the Gentiles, those who weren't part of God's people, are now part of God's people by faith through Jesus. The mystery is that God's love for us is so great that he would send his son to us and that his son, God himself, is the Messiah. The mystery is that Jesus' death on the cross, which seemed like the worst defeat in all of history, is in fact the triumph of God. The mystery is that though we are weak, yet God is strong through us. So speaking in a tongue might be a prayer to God. It might be a declaration of praise to God or thanksgiving to him. These are the kind of things that Paul says speaking in tongues might be like. And he says the result is that the person speaking is built up. They are strengthened and encouraged in their spirit. And so this is one of the other differences between tongues and prophecy, because Paul says, when you speak in tongues, you are built up. If you bring a prophetic word, others around you are built up. It's like if I have a meal, I will be built up. If I cook a meal for others and invite them around and they eat it, they will be built up. That's the kind of difference that's going on between these two gifts. And I think we need both of them. I consider tongues to be like spiritual weight training. I am... It's like, apparently, people go to the gym and they push weights. 
and they, they do so, and as they do so, they are built up, they are strengthened. Well, that's what happens in your spirit when you speak in tongues, Paul says. Does that mean that tongues only benefits you and is therefore a selfish gift? Well, no, because we need people with strength around us, don't we? There are all times when we say, I need the help of others. I need the strength of others. If you want spiritually mature, strong people, one of the ways in which that can happen for them is that they are people who speak in tongues and are being built up. So the immediate benefit is just for you. But actually, others will benefit from it too. On we go, verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. So, is tongues an important gift or not? Yes. There's, there's no, that cannot mean anything else. When an apostle, writing by the inspiration of the Spirit, words that God is going to record in the Bible, says, I want you all to speak in tongues, I think God means it. Now, if Paul is forced to make a choice, as the Corinthians are forcing him to make a choice, he'll say, if you're only going to do one, prophesy, because that will do other people more good. But Paul isn't being either or here. He's both and. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. So do both. Ask the Spirit for both. Interpretation, Paul says, puts tongues on the level of prophecy. Because when an interpretation is brought, when someone in their spirit knows what's being said by the Spirit through that tongue and they share it with the congregation, then we can all have a sense of what's going on. And then Paul says, well, that's like prophecy because you can comprehend it. And so whenever we here at King's have someone who comes and says, that the meeting leader, as Gordon was this morning, I feel I've got a tongue to bring, we'll say, okay, great. And we will explain it before or afterwards. And then we'll say, we need an interpretation of that. So we won't just say, wow, wasn't that great? Someone said something that no one understands. Verse 13 says, therefore, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Which is interesting because we don't tend to do that. Here, do we? We tend to expect that someone else will have the interpretation. And so just as I've been reading this again, I've been like, I wonder if we've got that slightly wrong. I think what we've done is we've lent into the body imagery of chapter 12, where Paul says to one is given various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And so we're content that one person bring a tongue and the other person will bring an interpretation. I think it could go either way. What will this interpretation be? Well, it will be in line with what we've already said about tongues. It will be Godward. It will be a response to the mysteries that God has revealed. Perhaps during our time of worship, you'll just be inspired by a line in the song uh, from your scripture reading in the morning uh, through just a revelation that God's given, a response. And so an interpretation will help others know what was going on and be able to share in it and be inspired and have their faith stirred. So when someone brings a tongue, I think, good for them. When someone brings an interpretation, I think, God is wonderful, because I can now comprehend what's going on and what they're saying. The rest of us can see and hear and share what you are experiencing, and that builds us up. That does all of us good. I also believe, and just from my experience, and our experience here as a church, is that 
tongues are often used by God. They spark something. They get something started in worship. Worship might be good and, and right and true, but then suddenly someone brings a tongue and it's just the dynamic has changed. I think there's a spiritual openness uh, that God loves. There's a, there's a faith that he honors. And then when an interpretation is brought, we're sharing in this revelation, sharing in this response. And things kick off and it's glorious. Carrying on. Uh, verses 14 to 15. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So what happens when we speak or sing in tongues? Our mind isn't doing anything about it. And I think that's a major reason why a lot of people are freaked out about this. It's not, so right now I am preaching to you, and hopefully you'll agree with it. My mind is working very, very specifically on the words that are coming out of my mouth. That is my focus. When I speak in tongues, I'm not thinking about that. When you bring a prophecy, you're thinking, what do I feel God's saying? I know it won't be full, but there'll be, there'll be something there that God's saying. How do I say that? When you speak in tongues, you're not thinking that way. A speaker I heard uh, talking on this once, just, it was just a, it's a weird image, but it's always stuck in my head. He said, your mind can be on the top of the Eiffel Tower, but you are speaking in tongues where you are. And he's, he's like, that's the kind of almost separation it can feel like between your mind and your spirit at that moment. Tongues has nothing to do with your conscious mind. You're not thinking, oh, well, now I'll say that sound. Now I'll say that sound, as we do with language. So your mouth is engaged, your mind not so much. This is a gift for when we don't know what to say, whether we're overjoyed or overwhelmed with sorrow. You can stop thinking about what to say without stopping conversing with God because he wants you to speak with him. And so he helps you to do it. This is his kindness. This is his love to us and his goodness to us. And so it's, it's okay to experience your mind wandering when you speak in tongues. But it's probably not ideal, which is why Paul says, my mind's unfruitful, so what shall I do? Well, I'll pray with my mind as well. So you'll experience that dynamic as you're praying in tongues, more so by yourself. You think, well, I ought to think of something. Probably you ought to think of something godly. <laughs> but actually, Paul's saying it's, the two things aren't necessarily connected. Verse 18 to 19, I thank God that I speak tongue, in tongues more than all of you, Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind, again that contrast, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The only church that Paul had to write to, to say, calm down with the amount of tongues you're using because I think you're doing it too much, is the Corinthian church. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. I would imagine if there was a world record tongue speaker in the ancient world, they were part of the church in Corinth. And Paul says, actually, it's me. I speak in tongues more than you. He's a huge fan of it. He thanks God for the gift of it. He uses it abundantly. The contrast there, though, with I do this and in church, I think suggests that Paul is primarily talking about this as a private prayer language for him. So when he comes into a church gathering, Paul's thing is thinking, how do I build people up? I want to bring a word of instruction or encouragement or prophecy or something like that. So if he is going to use a spiritual gift publicly, Paul would prefer that it's comprehensible to all straight away. 
And so he's going to prefer something like prophecy, or he's going to say you must have an interpretation of the tongue that's brought. And here's why, 14, 23 to 25. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. If you just have loads of tongues, if you just have loads of languages that no one understands what they are, and that seems to be what the Corinthians had, Paul says that is a mess, and people are just going to think you're strange. Now, people think Christians are strange anyway, and they have reason to. We believe that Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. People don't, people don't anticipate that to be part of normal life. We believe that he rules and reigns right now. We're preparing for him to return. And we believe that the way in which we follow him is by dying to ourselves. All of those things are incredibly strange to our world. So it isn't that Christians avoid being strange. But Paul says, don't do something like this. That can, this is unnecessarily strange. He says, if you're speaking in tongues, bring an interpretation. And that's why we always explain tongues when we have them, and we always will then say, let's have an interpretation. And so he concludes, verses 26 to 28, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. This is Paul's ideal form of worship. This is what he wants to happen when the people of God gather to worship. Lots of gifts, a sense of order, the church being built up, guests and visitors hearing the truth of God. Tongues is one of the many gifts at work in that mix. It can be done, as Paul said here, silently or as a contribution for all to hear, so long as it's followed by an interpretation. When we wait for interpretation, it doesn't mean that everything stops. Like, quick, bam, stop, I haven't got an interpretation. Guys, just wait, wait. We'll, just, we'll keep worshiping, but we'll, we'll be anticipating that the next contribution is going to be that interpretation. And just again, see this, this sense of order here. So we are letting the Holy Spirit work in us. We're asking him to work in us. But Paul says, two or three, don't interrupt. Take your turn. If no interpreter, stop. So there's, you don't, this isn't something that takes over you, and you can't do anything about it. My story is that I was, um, I was brought up uh, in a Catholic church, and that does not prepare you for speaking in tongues. I was completely unprepared for this when some friends invited me along uh, to a church more like this when I was about 14 or 15. And I would hear them pray in these other languages, and I had no frame of reference for this. And so I assumed that they had learned to speak Greek or Hebrew because those are the languages of the Bible and these guys were the keenest Christians I'd ever met and so I wouldn't have put it past them that they felt that that was something you had to do to really praise God. Let's learn what the actual Bible languages say. When I actually found out what it was, I would have preferred if it had been Greek or Hebrew because <laughs> I just thought it was weird. I had a youth leader pray for me once. He said, Luke, I feel God wants to give you the gift of tongues and inside of that guy, rather he didn't. <laughs> And so this guy said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. 
and laid his hands on me and said, he just said, I pray, Lord, that you give Luke the gift of tongues. And I stood there like this. <laughs> and thought, if you're going to, Lord, it's going to have to overwhelm me. It's going to have to be with no cooperation on my behalf. It's going to have to happen. That's not how God does it. It's not how he does it. So for me, I was very confident in my own vocabulary. I mean, I did English for a degree, so I know quite a lot of words. <laughs> I felt that would be sufficient. For me, pride was an issue that was stopping this happening. I'm not saying that's true for everyone who doesn't speak in tongues at all, but for me, it was. I was like, I'm, no, I'm pretty good by myself, thanks. Which is not the message of the gospel at all. Years later, I was alone in my room at university. God had grabbed hold of my life. I knew that I wanted to believe him for anything that he might have for me. And I knew from good friends and from God's word that the gift of tongues was one of those things that he might give me. And so, in my room, by myself, I started making some noises. I was essentially copying sounds I'd heard other people who prayed in tongues speak. But as far as I'm aware, that's how babies learn to speak human languages. So I think it's legit. The miracle wasn't that I started speaking in that way. It was that I continued to speak in that way. When Jesus fed the 5,000, there was no surprise that the first two people got food. The surprise was that the 4,075th person got food. That's the thing with tongues. It's not you, get, you can say some noise, but the thing that happens is the Spirit then continues with you. And so that's, that's what happened. I've been inspired recently to make speaking in tongues part of my daily routine. There's a woman called uh, Jackie Pullinger. She's an MBE. And she moved to Hong Kong in 1966 to work in the, uh, the walled city in the, the, where there were gangs, drug addicts, people whose lives were absolutely ruined. And she knew that she wanted to bring the love of Jesus to them. And she's still there now, having blessed thousands and rescued thousands of people. And a key moment for her, she says, was, says, by the clock, I prayed 15 minutes a day in the language of the Spirit and still felt nothing as I asked the Spirit to help me intercede for those he wanted to reach. After about six weeks of this, I began to lead people to Jesus without trying. Gangsters fell to their knees, sobbing in the streets. Women were healed. Heroin addicts were miraculously set free. And I knew it was nothing to do with me. That's what tongues does to you. can release the power of God through you. And so I've tried to make it my habit to speak somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes in tongues every morning because I, I, need this, I need God's strength. I need his power to do what he's called me to do. And I think you do too. It's not that this is like some magical thing. I still caught a cold this week and kind of <laughs> struggled through with that. I believe God in those moments. Like, God, I'm asking you to strengthen me in my spirit like you say in your word you will. I need you to do this, Lord. I believe he answers our prayers. Sometimes I'm very conscious of his power when he does this. When I, sometimes I'm not. Same as when I pray in English. I'm sometimes very conscious of a sense of his presence and what he's calling me to pray for. And other times I'm like, well, I just prayed again because it was the right thing to do. So how do we receive this gift? Well, we believe that it's from God. God's not gonna, he's not going to do something that you don't want him to do, actually. He's really uh, uh, gentle in that way. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, and that's why I've focused on that today rather than just giving you a whole bunch of different experiences and say, let's make some noise. I've wanted you to see that this is from the word of God, and this is for us today. 
The strangeness of it requires faith. I want to encourage you to ask for it. Don't ask so you can fit in at King's. Don't ask because you feel you should. Ask for it because you believe God wants to give it to you. That's what, that was Paul's situation. He said, I love speaking in tongues. I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. And the Spirit made sure it was in the Bible so that we would ask him for it. So ask. Speak to the Holy Spirit. Ask him for more of him than you've ever had in your life. You don't have to have this all worked out. It's the grace of God. This is a gift. Remember, gifts aren't earned. They're not about maturity. They're not about merit. They are the grace of God, his goodness, his richness and kindness to us. And having believed and having asked, say something. Maybe we need just a bit. Well, I haven't done that before. Okay, that was a good step forward. For some people, it it does just come out of them like a torrent. But don't despise the day of small things. That's a biblical principle in, in everything. God says, faithful with a little, get given more. You probably won't know what you're saying, but you do know to whom you're saying it and who it is who's helping you to say it. This isn't ventriloquism. This is collaboration. This is a good gift from a good God. He helps you to pray, and he does you good, and he gives your busy brain a rest.